Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm not happy with you. Why? Slagging my hair off. But, you know, you usually do your hair for the podcast. I'm kind of disappointed. Why? Uh, you, yeah. Well, do you know what it is? Do you know why I look different tonight? It's because I've not got pink headphones on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of Not Another Whiskey Podcast. Great to have you here today, wherever you're listening from. So pour yourself a dram, get cosy, and while you do so, have you ever wondered about the green credentials of your whiskey? What do you know about the average rainfall in Scotland, and how is it going to affect your whiskey by 2080? Have you ever also wondered about the Concerto Barley strain and how that's going to hold up over a hot, dry summer such as we had back in 2018? when the barley crop in Scotland actually fell by 7.9% and the price per tonne rose by £47.80. If all these questions have been keeping you up at night and stopping you from maybe pouring that extra dram, fear not, as they will be answered today as Daz and I tackle the minefield that is sustainability within the Scotch whisky industry. As always, I'm your co-host, Mitch Beshard, and I'm joined by my vegetable-eating, eco-warrior buddy, oh. Mr. Daz Haldane. That's not nice, Mitch. You need to eat more vegetables. Do you know why? Tell me. Good for hair loss. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got that covered already, mate. Yeah. How are we doing? Good, man, you? Yeah, decent, mate. All good. All good at this end. Sincerest apologies if I don't sound the best. I have had a little cough. Uh, the last few days, not COVID, um, just a little tickly cough. Uh, I, I also would like to confirm um, it's not a hungover voice either. It's, um, as I say, just a little cough. And he's forgotten his microphone. Well, I didn't forget the microphone actually, Mitch. Um, I forgot the cable that connects the microphone to all the other stuff that makes me sound fabulous. Which is even worse because that means you remembered part of the microphone and left the other half a bit somewhere. Because I'm a sausage. Indeed, you are. <laughs> right, we um, obviously COP26 was just a few weeks ago. You talked about the whiskey that you tried, I think you tasted, the Glenfiddich. The Glenfiddich one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with Mr. Mark Thompson. And we did see a number of different bottlings and things like that knocking about. So we felt it would be quite cool to do an episode on sustainability. It just feels like the right time to talk about it. And 
bring in a couple of people as well that know lots and lots about this kind of stuff. And, and that's pretty much what this is about today, isn't it? Mate? In, indeed, mate. And, you know, to help us with the subject, we've drafted a, a few professionals because let's face it, us doing this by ourselves, you know, we, we do need people to help us out. This is, this is quite, this is probably the most serious subject I think we've tackled so far on the podcast. Um, so we've got a few people coming in. So firstly, we're going to be joined by Carol Roberts, who has led a study that was funded by Ian McLeod Distillers on climate change and the potential impact that's going to have on Scotch whiskey in the future. Uh, and then I have a chat with Stuart Watts, who's the distillery director at William Grant & Sons. So he's talking about what William Grant & Sons are redu- uh, doing within their distilleries to reduce their carbon footprint and the groundbreaking work on converting their fleet of lorries to runoff waste generated by their distilleries, which was actually a world first. And it was Stuart that, that, that was the brains behind all that. So really cool to kind of hear what he had to say and what a big company like William Grant are, are, are doing right now to reduce their carbon footprint. It's amazing, really, isn't it? Because I think we've, we've worked in whiskey what did you say our combined years was? Was it 35 or 40 years or something like that between the two of us? We're not 40 yet, mate. We're not that old, but nah. right, it's around about 30. Yeah. It's easily the biggest shift I've seen. Um, and I, I know you were obviously living in America for a lot of that time, but based here in Scotland, working around different distilleries and different owners of different distilleries, every year that went past, this became such a more, uh, just such a, a more regular conversation and it, and it was raised in importance every single year that, that went past. And I'd say the last five years, there's been a huge amount of energy, um, not just in resource in terms of people and technical skill sets, like the ones that we're going to talk to later, um, but just in terms of just time and consciousness of, of how important this actually is. And when you think of periods of time i think we did it didn't we when we talked about like the rise of malt whiskies significant decades the the 1820s the 1960s you know the early 2000s in terms of this kind of sort of crazy rise of, of single malt whiskey brands the 2020s in history will probably be remembered for what distilleries did um in terms of looking after the environment well i hope it's remembered for someone I mean, bloody hell, we're not doing that yeah, well at yeah, the moment, yeah. are we? Uh, it's probably not going to be remembered for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, mate, listen, this is this is quite uh, an intense subject. So I think before we get cracked on this, we should uh, put ourselves a wee dram, right? Yeah, ma'am. Time to find out what Daz and Mitch are drinking this week. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a latecomer um, to this particular dram because of you, um, my good friend. Because of me, I thought yeah. I thought it was your 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 kids that oh you're talking about this actual dram that you haven't tried. Yeah, yet. no, I'm talking. I'm not talking about my children. Uh, I, I, we're here to talk. This is thought, not another whiskey podcast. Sorry, I, not not another no, child. No, I thought because you were late to recording the podcast, that's what what you're Ooh, talking about. I was late. I was late to that as well. <laughs> um, so not only am I late, I also haven't got the right equipment. Um, and See what I, I, I have to work with, people. See what I have to work with. This is this is you have to deal with this on a daily basis, Mitch. But it's not your job. It's a choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you put me on to, well, the guys at Angus Dundee. And I joined the Tom and Tyrrell tasting uh, the other week, which was brilliant. And uh, Cody ran it. Yeah. And it, you're going to try a distillery, which is literally next door. 
I just saw you pour it. And I was really amazed at how biscuity, malty common towel is. I, I, I forgot. I've tried it before. I just forgot how kind of bready, malty and things it is. When you always think, I, I think of Speyside distilleries, typically you get apples and pears and you get these soft vanilla notes and things like that. But it was a really, really different whiskey. I really enjoyed it. And then the week after that, it was the Glen Caram tasting, mm. which I missed. And I apologize to Ben and whoever else was hosting that one, probably Cody again, um, because I couldn't I couldn't make it. So I'm enjoying, I'm going quite posh tonight. This is a Glen Caram 21, uh, which was in one of those sample packs, which, and I'm a massive fan of Glen Caram. I love that little nuke of the world where you've got Royal Lochnagar, Fetter Cairn, Glen Caram, good little setup in that Northeast Highland area. Um, so that's what I'm drinking, mate. And it's, it's nice. banging. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Glen Caram is so underrated. I mean, it really is. Such a good dram. Um, what you on well, that? I'm just, like you said, I'm kind of not far away from you with Tom and Tal, even though you're not drinking Tom and Tal, but you're chatting about it. So I'm on Tam Vulan, uh, which I thought I just wanted someone just easy, easy going tonight, you know? Mm. And um, we, it was you that introduced me to this back in your White Mackay days. So there you go. We've both done each other a favor there. Yeah, we um, have. Yeah, we, we we relaunched that. Was it five and a half years ago? There was stuff knocking about from Tam the Villain back in the day, but it's such it a great little dram. I mean, for the price point yeah. as well. You yeah. know, uh, really good, well put together single malt Scotch whiskey. I think I'm seeing it in most places now, around about the twenty pound mark for a bottle. Good people up there as well, Sam Douglas and Joe Reevely. Up at Tamlevoe and brilliant, and it's a it's a it's a solid solid whiskey as you say. And pound for pound, it, it doesn't disappoint, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm running low on Tamlevoe, so we better give Kieran a nudge and tell him to send us another couple of bottles. All right, so Daz, before we bring the guests on and, and bring the interviews in, I think what we should do is is chat about sustainability. And I thought it would be nice for us to define not just where we are within the Scotch windy whiskey and windy windy mm. industry right now. Bloody hell. No the windy, the windy whiskey industry. The windy whiskey. It kind of is windy in Scotland right now. It's, I think it's really windy right stores. now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it'd be good to define where we are, not just within the Scotch whiskey industry, but also within the drinks industry in general when it comes yeah. to sustainability and what's going on. So, as we record this, there is currently no definition of what it means to be a sustainable spirit worldwide. So we haven't decided on what that looks like. Uh, On kind of researching this, the closest thing I got to was the International Wine and Spirits Competition, which sets out a standard as to what a brand needs to meet their uh, stipulations within the competition. So this includes their repurposing efforts, recycling, reducing energy, reducing plastic and packaging, energy efficient production, supporting local communities and conscious ingredient sourcing and use. So that's defined um, by that particular competition. Yeah. Looking at the wider drinks industry outside of whiskey, there are some great examples, I think, of brands that are going above and beyond this. So as we kind of looked at this, right, and um, I think the first one that sticks out for me goes back to William Grant and Sons again with their discarded brand. Uh, and they, you know, to give you an example, what they're doing there is they're using banana peels, which are obviously going to be thrown away uh, to make a Caribbean rum. They also use grape skins to make uh, their own vodka. Possibly the first time we've chatted about vodka on the show. 
But then there's also uh, a, a gin called Copperkin. You ever heard of this, Daz? I have and, not, no. So, 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 it sounds like a company that you might own. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Never thought about that. But each bottle is carbon negative. So I'd never heard of this before. Like, how do you get a bottle that's carbon negative? So I dug into it, and it's really interesting, right? So the first thing they do is um, they invest in verified projects which remove a kilogram of CO2 more than any other bottle of gin emits. Uh, it is all signed off by the reputable Vera Verified Carbon Standard Program. Uh, in addition, the distillery is partnered with 1% of the planet. So what that means is for every bottle sold, one square meter of native broadleaf UK woodland is planted. Then throw into that energy saving cold distillation process, uh, which uses innovative vacuum stills and a distillery that only uses green power. And that's how you become carbon negative to produce a bottle of gin. Wow. Pretty crazy, right? That's a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't like to be the ambassador, you know, doing yeah. a tasting for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Let me tell you about how we get to this point. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny, isn't it? Because as, an, as ambassadors, guys who have a decent amount of experience going out and talking to people about distilleries, about products and things like that, I never used to get questions on sustainability. No. The only time I ever got asked really about how were you managing things linked to sustainability was on Highland Park because we had Hobbister Moor or, or you know, they, they still have Hobbister Moor, which is where all the peat comes from for Highland Park's peating. And it was really just about the process of how do you do that? How do you manage the land? When will you run out? And that was mainly why people were asking. They were just wondering how long will it take before you, you, you use all of your peat? And then Highland Park will have to change. It'll maybe have to go to the mainland or something like that. But just the way you manage the land and the volume of peat that is there on Orkney, that was it's never going to be an issue, I don't think. So well, yeah, and I remember hearing that was their answer, right? It's like the amount yeah. for the amount that we use, it's never going to run out. And I think the interesting thing is when you look at peat, and people do have this conversation. Um, we've just had all the garden centres in the UK are now not allowed to sell peat anymore because mm. that's where most of it was coming from, and not. Scotch whiskey production is why. No, well, I remember doing a bit of work on this because it was actually linked to, to peat. <clears throat> and the, the regeneration of peat on the peat hills there on Orkney was about one millimetre a year. Mm. So you can imagine as you lift off the top layer of heather, you cut that off and you put it to the side, you dig through the peat bed, through the three layers. I don't know if you remember the Yarfe, moss and fog, the, the sort of three layers, cut those through. Uh, let them dry out. This is all in May and June. Let them dry out there a little bit and then you, you pop them over to the distillery and all of that cutting is done in two months for the full year. Um, and, and you're using about a ton a day at the distillery. Um, and and that, that's pretty much it. And then you replant the heather on top and it starts to grow again and the birds use it for nesting and stuff like that. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I I mean, it is, you know, it is kind of, we're getting off topic here a little bit. I suppose it is on topic, but you, you do look at places like Isla and you drive past the, you know, the, the fields there and you do see where it's been cut, obviously, mm. for the whiskey. And there's a place up in Speyside as well called the Cabrook. Uh, and it's a really cool walk. It's about a 30 minute walk up this hill and it takes you to the old um, 
area where all the peat was cut for Glenfiddich back in the day. Mm. And it's kind of like an amphitheater. You mm. can completely see where it's been cut. So it does, I mean, you know, you don't, the, the peat bogs are massive in Scotland. So I, I think, I think peat be consumption for... was, I think whiskey was two and a half to 3% of the peat consumption. Um, when everyone, and, and... everyone was using it. Or when is this now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, um, just generally, I think, and then the rest is is pretty much for compost. Okay, so away from Pete and back to my last example of a uh, sustainable spirit. Right now, the other one, the last one I want to mention is Black Cow Vodka, and they use leftover cheese and wonky strawberries that that, that supermarkets refuse to sell mm. to produce a vodka, which is pretty cool. When we come closer to home, right, and we look at what. Scotland has been doing, we have to look to the Scotch Whiskey Association or SWA. Now, they've been trying to, I suppose, corral the industry since 2009 and have had a really positive effect in doing this. So their policy on sustainability within the whiskey industry includes getting whiskey production down to net zero emissions by 2040. Now, that's ahead of Scotland's plan for this, which is actually 2045, and the UK's plan, which is 2050. Um, they also focus on water usage so that all companies are responsible, are, are going to be responsible for the water usage range by 2025. Uh, they look at reusable and recycled packaging. And finally, for them, it's all about caring for the land and focusing on what we've just been talking about, which is peatlands. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I mean, that's what what the SWA have been doing. And, you know, pretty much, as we know, most of the distilleries, all the big distilleries are on board with the SWA. Um, there's only a, a handful of small guys that I know of that, that aren't part of the SWA. So that's really positive to, to see that. The SWA are really driving a lot of these conversations. And the good news is, they're not getting any pushback. In fact, the distillers in Scotland are very open to it. And I know this because of uh, some of the work we were doing up at, up at Dalmore and Invergordon. Um, there is a really collaborative approach to this. This is not just about what William Grants want to do, what Diageo want to do, you know, what Edrington or whoever it is want to do. There is a lot of, there is a lot of connection between the various businesses to get this right. And if there's a solution that works for, as you said, we're, we're going to come on to with Stuart, if there's a solution that works for them, they should absolutely be sharing that with everybody else and saying, guys, this is, we can help here, you know? Um, and that that seems to be the way that, that that's going. And we went, we went up to look at Nicknean, um, to look at their biomass uh, plant that, that fuels their distillery. Because, one of the things that new distilleries have, and we're going to come on to this and talk a little bit more about it, is they have the benefit of having all of this information right now, today, um, so that their distillery, as they build it, is absolutely bang on for meeting this net zero target. Uh, one of the big challenges, I think, that a lot of distilleries face is that they're like 200 years old. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's like, how do you, how do you unpick that? Because the technology that the, a lot of these distilleries still use is, is reasonably inefficient just because of when it was built. Do you know what I mean? But Nick Nian's a great example because they talk about being made by nature, not by rules. Um, sustainability runs in their veins. Uh, they use organic Scottish barley in a distillery powered by renewable energy, recycle 99.97% of their waste 
and they bottle whiskey in 100% recycled clear glass. What an amazing set of you know values that Nick Nean has. And they have that because, I, I believe this, because of when they started. They have the benefit of all of this knowledge, all of this expertise. They've gone out and brought people in who know this stuff. And that's why they're operating in, in the way they're operating. Yeah. I mean, it's, I it's a great when, distillery. I was lucky enough to go up there not long after they opened. And uh, I actually, we all went up there. It was a group of about four of us. And we sat down and this lady walks in and she's like, all right, I'm going to be hosting you guys. I'm like, oh, fantastic. And and what do you do here? And one of the other ladies that was there, she's like, oh, that's the owner. And it was Annabelle yeah, yeah, Thomas yeah. who took us around, you know. So it was for me, it, it was at a time when no one had really heard about Knockney and it hadn't got as big as it is now. Mm. Uh, you know, and to have that that time with her where she was just chatting about everything they were doing and, and then getting shown around by her was really cool. It's really cool. And they've also got Matt Hastings working for them as well, who's um great bartender, worked in some really, really cool places down in London and things like that. And not only are they happy with just producing stuff in a sustainable way, uh, his, a lot of his job is how do you serve Nick Nian and great drinks in sustainable ways? And actually that education piece all the way through, they're also backing as well. So gold standard, absolutely no doubt about it. Um, 100%. And it's great that some of the new guys coming into the business are are really laying down that gauntlet for, and, and a, not in a negative way, just to say, look, there are other ways of doing things. Come and see us. We'll help. We'll collaborate. We'll make it work. A bit of tech that has been out there for a while now, and one thing that most distilleries, as long as they have the space to do it, can implement is anaerobic digesters. You remember anaerobic AD. digesters coming about just when back in our Diageo yeah. days when we were going down to Rose Aldaz. So yeah. just to break this down for everyone listening, you know, when we're getting technical and kind of talking about anaerobic digesters here, but to explain what, what anaerobic digesters do, when we make whiskey, we have leftover materials from the barley, and this is called draft. Now, traditionally, this was always sold to farmers as cattle feeders. It's got high protein content, no alcohol content, by the way. So, you know, a lot of people go like, oh, the leftover whiskey gets given to cows and they're all drunk running about Scotland. Absolute bullshit. If you hear anyone telling, telling you that, just call them out on it. There's no alcohol content in draft. So that was always a great way that I suppose Scotch whiskey recycled right from the start, um, you know, given to these farmers and, 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 and it going to, to the cattle. But now the farmers are probably a little bit pissed off about this because what the anaerobic digesters do is they take this draft um, and they, they, they it goes into these big dome-like uh, vessels that are absolutely massive. Uh, and the draft sits there and it, these vessels capture the gases essentially. Uh, which turn it back into clean energy for the distillery. Now, currently, we know of three major players that, that are doing this. William Grant Sons, uh, Edrington with McAllen, uh, and Diageo all utilize this, this uh, aspect of production. And it's incredibly efficient. It can add up to 90% of uh, the, the bill or creating yeah. that energy to go back into the distillery. At my time at White Mackay, we moved Fetter Cairn and Tam the villain onto LPG, so liquid petroleum gas. And that was a big shift uh, for those two distilleries um, and, a, and a good move in the right direction in terms of meeting these targets. The LPG is probably the middle ground mm -hmm. um, on that route, on that journey. Biomass boilers are good as well. And, and this is another thing that's, that's, that's come in recently, and I mentioned Nick Nian already, and quite an efficient way of 
you know, fueling a distillery in a, in a relatively clean way because a boiler is basically providing all of the heat required um, and all the steam and everything that that required to fuel a distillery. And, and distillation is obviously really high in terms of, of energy and there's loads of different things they can do to recapture heat um, reuse the various elements and byproducts and things like that that come along, but it is just the it's a very very sort of expensive and energy intensive part of the process. So biomass is definitely something that's moving into lots and lots of distilleries. Um, a biomass boiler can put two hundred thirty tons less of CO two into the air compared to oil, uh, and there are still distilleries using oil. You know, and it's not. Again, I, I don't think it's because companies are unwilling to change. I think it's just because the technology they inherited whenever that distillery was built, it's probably quite difficult to change that um, quite quickly. But I think most people will be off oil uh, pretty soon, I would imagine. Uh, biomass boiler distilleries, Nicknean, Ardenmarkin, Aberfeldy, Balmenic, Tomatin. I'm going to put my neck out here. I'm certain the Callan is as well, because they've got the... Uh, I forget the name of it, across the road. Uh, there's a biomass plant down the road, and what they were doing was pumping steam all the way down these massive pipes, but they were pumping it at such a pace that you didn't lose heat on the way down. And and I'm sure that's how they're fueling uh, the McAllen distillery just now. I think you're um, right, because that's when you're across the road, right? Like the the right-hand side of the road, if you're on the right driving hand up side, towards exactly. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mate, you know what we should do? We should start up a Not Another Whiskey podcast big quiz. Do it live. Oh. If you're up for that idea, let us know on Instagram, on our website. Let us know if you're up for a, a wee whiskey quiz hosted by Daz and I. Oh, could do wee dances and stuff as well, mate. You could you could sing little, that little song that you like singing. Go and sing that little what, song. Again. What, um, it's two hearts living in two separate worlds. Yeah. Right, maybe he won't sing that for you. Yeah. So that's just a snapshot of some of the things going on right now. And we're going to hear more about that from William Grant and Sons um, later in the show when we're going to bring uh, one of their head honchos on with regards to distilling to, to set the scene. But when it comes to climate in Scotland and what that means for the Scotch whiskey industry, we're lucky enough to be joined today by Carol Roberts from the University College of London who is the lead researcher on a report that has been funded by Glen Goyne and their parent company, Ian McLeod Distillers. And this report goes into the current climate in Scotland and what that means for whiskey making here. Carol, welcome to the show and thank you so much for dropping in today. Hi, yes, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so we'll start with your report, Carol, because you've, you've obviously put a little bit of work into that. That that's not something that looks like it was done at the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. There was a lot of um, research looking at all the literature out there. Um, so essentially, we were conducting an in-depth literature review, um, investigating the impact of climate change on Scotch whiskey production over the next 50 to 100 years. Um, so that involved two elements, really. So researching how climate is projected to change in Scotland, um, and then secondly, what that means for Scotch whisky. Uh, so in terms of climate change in Scotland, um, we're looking at current and future projected changes in terms of temperatures, rainfalls, um, sea level, extreme weather events, 
uh, annually, so across the year, but also seasonally, so looking at how that would vary in summer versus winter. Mm. Um, and then we were looking then into how this might impact Scotch whiskey production. And again, oh. separating that into different aspects. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, because you could, yeah, it could go anywhere, couldn't it? And uh, see, in, in your background then, is, is have you always worked with the whiskey industry or are you coming at this from a, a totally different background? And, and, and have you, I guess you must have learned quite a lot about whiskey going through this process as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, as you said, with my background, I'm a climate uh, researcher. Uh, so it was really interesting applying that knowledge into a research realm, which I was very much less familiar with. Um, so that obviously involved actually just understanding the processes used in Scotch whisky um, and applying my knowledge to that industry. So there was a few things that surprised me within it. Like I, I didn't realise quite how substantial Scotch whisky industry is within the United Kingdom. So um, I think it is actually the most important single food or drink sector, which is larger than meat, dairy, um, and it contributes over five billion pound a year to the economy. Yeah. So that was quite surprising for me. I mean, one of the things that, that really kind of blew my mind when I re read this report was the amount of you, uh, water, I should say, used in production. And uh, I actually stole some of your stats, Carol, for the interesting facts that we do later on based around um, and water and, and how that's being used. Uh, but, you know, given the growth of the distilling business, I suppose you could call it, in Scotland, you know, we're now up to, I think it's 133 distilleries. How sustainable is it to keep producing at the current rate based on the climate change we're seeing in Scotland right now? Yeah, so I think that's one of the big points that came out of the report, that one of the major challenges for the Scotch whiskey industry, but other distillers as well, is that under a change in climate, um, water availability could be an issue. And that's quite a surprising thing in Scotland. I think people Definitely. tend to it think of it as a, time, yeah, a typically rainy place. Um, <laughs> We've got so much water. <laughs> <laughs> drought doesn't seem to be um, an issue. But the thing with climate change is changing rainfall patterns in terms of when and where you get the rainfall. Um, so uh, in looking into the future, um, we're already seeing some trends in this, but uh, we're expecting hotter and drier summers um, and warmer but wetter winters. Um, so if we're getting dry summers, there's more likely to be summer droughts. Um, and because Scotch whiskey production is an all year round process, um, that would impact production during those uh, seasonally during those months. And we're already seeing evidence of the impact that drought can have on distillers. So uh, in 2018, during the summer, um, there was a heat wave which caused several distilleries um, in Scotland to actually have a suspend um, or completely halt production. Um, and there was one distillery in particular uh, which lost a whole month's worth of production. Um, and obviously these are more severe droughts and they're currently one in 40 year events, but uh, looking into the 2050s, research has uh, suggested that these may occur every 20 years instead. Um, and in particularly in different areas as well. So it really depends on 
what water resources that a distillery uses. It can vary between like rivers, locks, mains water supply, um, and also competition from other water users. So for example, Speyside has the highest concentration of distilleries um, all relying on water from the River Spey. Um, and so you can see that managing water supply is going to be a really important aspect looking into the future, um, using it sustainable, sustainably, uh, whether that's just reducing it within the process, recycling it, storing it from times where it's more abundant, for example, during the winter, um, and helping you, uh, the, the distillers see through the more drought prone months. Yeah. Did you factor in one of the things I was sort of in my head was there's obviously a lot of new distilleries that have opened in the last 15 years, especially. And we're at 133 or 134 distilleries now. Um, now, if that continues and there, there seems to be licenses out there for new distilleries, there's more of them coming, it, it would seem. Um, is, is there a risk of too many distilleries? Is, is that also a thing that you factored into climate change and the number of distilleries here in Scotland? No, that's an interesting point, actually, um, and it's it's quite important if we if uh, distillers are currently struggling to manage um, competition for a certain uh, resource, um, and adding more distilleries is only going to add to the problem, um, and especially if they're focused in certain areas, uh, and different environments have different storage capacities for so for example some of the islands um they have more limited supplies so um i think in some in some of those places um some more distilleries have been opened up in there and there's already problems in terms of water shortages in yeah. those environments yeah it's interesting on that point i i think I, I know the distillery you were referring to back in 2018 which was um glenn farkless yeah. And I don't think that I don't think that was a shortage. I think that was just George Grant drinking it all. He just, <laughs> he just, he just used that as an excuse. Yeah, he sucked it all up. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And, and Carol, see when you were doing your research then, did you get did you get hands-on? Did you go up to the distilleries? Did you kind of So Carol, let me ask you this. What was the most shocking thing that you found from doing this report? So I'd say clearly we've already covered uh water availability as a major challenge, but I'd also say the variety and complexity of impacts, uh, so the fact that each distillery is likely to be impacted in different ways uh, and to different extents. Uh, for example, a distillery on the coast. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? 
Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This may be more vulnerable to coastal erosion um, and sea level rise. Uh, while um, you've got distilleries in Speyside, more competing for water. Um, and also just what we're saying about traditional distilleries uh, having to adapt um, to warmer air and water temperatures. Um, and that, that is an interesting point because of it's understandable from a distillers and customer point of view that some traditional aspects would want to be preserved. Um, and the, the character and the quality of the Scotch whiskey that we have today is, is largely defined by and reflects the climate that it's produced in and matured in. Um, so seeing how um, even small impacts, small changes um, in temperature and uh, precipitation, extreme events, can have quite diverse and wide impacts it was quite shocking. It's the transition, isn't it? It's, it's so, I, I always think of this as you've got old distilleries, some of them 200, 250 year old distilleries now wrestling with this idea of technology and, and looking after the environment. And, and that's just not what they were designed for. Um, you know, the old distilleries, new distilleries are designed for that. Um, and I always think of like analogies in my head. I'm like, what's it like? You know, it's kind of like, is it like the petrol car? And then the, you had this little blip in the middle, which is the hybrid. And then in 10 years time, we'll laugh at the hybrid and go, what was that? Do you know what I mean? I always think of, uh, it's like it's like these transitions, the CD. The CD was there, right? And then there was the mini disc that came in for about a year and I had one and I loved it. And my house got robbed actually. And somebody stole my mini disc player, which I was most devastated about. And then you had like MP3 and LimeWire streaming and all that kind of stuff. And that little bit of middle technology in the middle kind of everyone's sort of forgotten about. And I think that's where we are at the moment in whiskey. And it'll be interesting just to get your view on that. Is like, are you seeing enough happening in that shift towards being more sustainable? Um, where distilleries that you spoke to and people you spoke to, were they quite open and, and, and willing to make some of the changes that, that you guys are suggesting? I think there's a big drive like it within many industries towards um, increased sustainability uh, because ultimately it benefits the industry 
um, as much as sort of the wider scope of it. Um, and um, writing a report like this, um, highlighting how uh, climate change can really impact on the industry and what it will mean in so many different aspects um, is, is sort of an important drive towards being more sustainable in so many ways. I think it's also important to bring it to a wider point because ultimately as a, I, I come from climate change research aspect um, and sometimes hearing figures like uh, two degree warming globally by 2050 can be quite hard to put in perspective in terms of how we'll actually experience climate change. But with the report, we're seeing how climate change can impact a single industry and in so many ways. Um, and also, if you look at some of those impacts, so for example, by if by the second half of the 21st century, we're increasingly, um, it's increasingly challenging to maintain steady yields and crops, because um, barley is obviously a, a major component of Scotch whiskey, um, and we're seeing increases in the frequency and intensity of droughts, which reduces water supplies. These sorts of impacts go beyond just a single industry, um, but also more widely in terms of the population and um, other businesses. Um, so it really conveys sort of the challenges we face in the warming world and why sustainability practices need to be put in place in certain industries. So Carol, final question before we let you go. And thank you again so much for being on the show. Are you a whiskey fan? If so, what do you drink? <laughs> so I'd say I do like a bit of whiskey every now and again, but um usually it's it's my my dad's the bigger whiskey fan fan in the family um and often it's his single malt whiskey <laughs> that's brilliant well you need to uh, next time you're up in scotland give us a shout yeah we'll take oh, you yes. for a couple of drams and we'll, we'll chat about <laughs> we could probably chat about this all night <laughs> yeah 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 carol's sitting here going can these guys shut up <laughs> but carol thanks again for coming on we really uh, really appreciate yeah. your time uh, today to to talk to us about all this oh no it's really nice to share some of that research and the work that went into it and some of their findings so thank you for having me on talking about the the interesting facts mate for this week obviously it's going to be based around sustainability and i looked directly at carol's report here's some some interesting facts from that report now it's time for some interesting whiskey facts that definitely won't get you any new friends on a Friday or Saturday night while standing in a bar. Might work on a Monday or Tuesday though. Even if it is a Saturday night, I'm going to use this in a bar. So right. it takes 46.7 litres of water to make one litre of Scotch whiskey. How crazy is that? If Steve, that was a cup of coffee and it took you that much more water to make that cup of coffee at the end, you would kind of go, this is mad. Why am I doing yeah. this? Wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> so sticking on that theme about water, Scotland uses 63 billion litres of water every year in whiskey production. 63 billion litres. Mm. I mean, to be fair, we have got a lot of water over here, but as we talked about with Carol, is that sustainable anymore? Then, yeah. here's another one for you. Right. In... 2012, a study by the Beverage Industry Environmental Roundtable, which I'm sure they called themselves that because then they could shorten their name to beer. See what they did there, Daz? Pretty clever. Oh, That's quite clever, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But they find out that a single uh, 750 milliliter 
bottle of spirit produces more than six pounds of CO2. And that goes from grain to glass, including packaging and transportation. Now, mm. bear in mind that was 2012, right? So I know most of you listening, that, pro- that number probably doesn't make any sense to you with regards to CO2. So to break it down, six pounds of CO2 is the equivalent of you driving seven miles in your car, uh, and not an electric one, like an average car. So that's for one bottle of booze. Now, as I said, that was 2012. So I'm pretty sure that would have come down by now, or I Mm. would hope that it it would have come down by now. So that's your interesting facts for this week, people. What do you think of that, Daz? I don't think you're going to make many friends this weekend. Come on, man, that water one, that's classic. There's this tension between sustainability and what some people would perceive to be luxury, heavy bottles, secondary packaging which is we know it doesn't get used most of the time it does get binned um it's heavy it's beautiful it's lacquered it's multi-material that is not biodegrading in 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 the next three or four thousand years do you know what i mean yeah it's going to be stuck out the ground or someone's going to put their ashes in it or something like that so it's it's i guess it's like this is the trade-off this is this is the challenge that i guess the distillers face particularly in more prestige products. Um, and, and you've worked on Glenfiddich where you've got some beautiful vintage packaging bottles and all that kind of stuff. And McAllen Dalmore I've worked on very much the same. And it's one of those, isn't it? When you see these things, you look at them and you go, is that, is that still required? Yeah. Is there a way around this? And, you know, going back to Norkney, and I love that, one of, their, one of the things they do is when you buy a bottle from them online, you have the option to have the packaging or not. Um, and then going back to Glenfiddich, I remember we did Fire and Cane, and Fire and Cane never had an outer. And yeah. one of the reasons for that was, A, to keep down the cost, so it, it could be a, a more approachable single malt, but also for the environmental aspect. And to be fair to Glenfiddich, I was just looking at their new packaging for the Grand Caron, and it seems like it is completely recyclable. It's good to see distilleries being more mindful, uh, using materials that are either reused or reusable, um, but they've still got a long way to go on packaging. Well, and going back to that, uh, the, the COP26 whiskey that was made specifically for it, well, I love that because the packaging was made of 97% uh, recyclable glass. The stopper was made from recycled wood and cork dust. The label created from byproducts of the whiskey production process, including barley, carton made from 100% recycled cardboard. You know, so talking about sustainability, it can be done within Mm -hmm. the bottling and the outer. And that was a great example of how it was done. Daz Mitch's Whiskey News of the Week. It's been a busy week uh, in the world of whiskey. And actually, to be fair... The last week of November and the first week of December are typically fairly busy in the whiskey calendar in general, but they were made even more special and even more more busy um, for a number of reasons. And and let me explain one of them. We've talked a little bit about it. We talked about the distillers one of one, didn't we? And we talked about what our favorite bottlings were and things like that. And whiskey distilleries were invited to produce one bottle for this charity auction. Well, the great thing is these guys have done an amazing job and they've partnered up with uh, Sotheby's and again, highly collaborative between the various distillers and things like that. They managed to raise 3.1 million pounds for a youth action fund. And that is an amazing figure. And to be fair- It it deserves an applaud. 
But yeah, yeah, give them a clap, man. Give them a clap. It was um, it was pretty special, and there was all sorts of stuff that went right and wrong because they had guys had been flagged for COVID, couldn't travel up to do the auctions, and all sorts of stuff. But they made it happen. They powered on through, and they raised lots of money for a great charity. We're going to go into the bottles um, on another episode about what collections sold for what, what records were broken, and things like that. But the headline today is 3.1 million for this amazing charity uh, by the guys at Distillers 101. Well done. And so of course. Yeah. And then next up, we did repost uh, some of this news that um, John Campbell, who had been at Lafroig for 30 years, uh, who is an absolute legend and a a gentleman uh, within the industry, has always always been a a great guy, certainly when I've seen him out and about in places like Sweden and different countries, you know, is a, a great font of knowledge and the producer of a, a great whiskey. He's left Lefroig and people were kind of scratching their heads going, where's he going? What's he up to? We now know. Um, just a couple of days ago, it was announced that he is now headed to the Loch Lee distillery, which is um, massive news for them, you know, and, and that's a startup distillery in effect. Um to get somebody you, like you, that there is, is huge. You say a startup distillery, which it is, but it actually started production a good couple of years back. Yeah. But they've just stayed so under the radar. And it just seems like in the last six months or so, they've been like, hey, yeah. guys, we're here. Let's go nuts, you know? Yeah, they have. They, they have kept it very quiet, haven't they? It's been, um, it's been one of those that if you're in the industry, you might have heard about it. Most people are yet to hear. Now that he's there... Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they get up to. Be interesting. Yeah. So congratulations to John on his new role. And finally, is the Scotch Whiskey Awards were just last week. Did you go? I didn't go, but I had a good, few good friends that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, any news? Any, any stories? Any good good friends of yours picking up any gongs? Any any big things going on? Well, I saw Brendan with uh, Buna having picked up quite a few. Buna Haven did pick up quite a few. Our good friends, Glenn Scotia, won Distillers of the Year. Yeah. Which is great news. Um, Ballandalic. So, Ballandalic. Well, yeah, they won. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. My good friend, uh, distillery manager up there, Colin Poppy. Well done, mate. I know he listens yeah. to the podcast. So. Oh, does he? Oh, good, good. good. I saw, uh, mm-hmm. I saw um, a lovely picture of him with Karen Fullerton, who's working for them as well, um, holding their trophy, which is really, really exciting. And literally the day after, I think it was the day after, was Icons of Whiskey. It's crazy, mate. Crazy. Two awards, back to back. So everybody was in Edinburgh for two days or three days solid. Um, I'm sure there were a few hangovers in Scotland uh, that particular Friday and Saturday. Um, Icons of Whiskey, of course, Whiskey Magazine's awards. Um, and Christopher Coates always puts on a great show. Um, and it's, it seemed like it was a good event. Now... It's normally a daytime affair, Mitch. And Which we this know because we went to it we're, two years we went, ago. We were at the same table. Yeah, yeah, we were at the same table a couple of years ago. Um, but it's normally a daytime event, which which I prefer. Um, and now it's an evening event. It's, um, it's all got to quite... a pass, mate, to the next one. And I, I was gutted because I was in Speyside all week. So I kind of missed everything that was going on in yeah. Edinburgh. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But I had a good time in space side though. I tell you what yeah. I did. I, I was hanging out at Balveni and um, chatting to Dennis McBain, who's the coppersmith who's been there for 60 years. We've chatted yeah. about him on the show before. Great guy. And he was telling me the whole story about 
um, the copper dog and when he basically got pulled up by the distillery manager. This is just when he started uh, Cooperit. So he's only like 17. And apparently the distillery manager came up and went, right, Loon, come over here and bring your hammer. So Dennis is like, yeah, no problem. So he takes him up to this anvil and he pulls out this copper dog. So for those that don't know what a copper dog is, basically it's a, it's a copper cylinder um, on uh, a chain. And the guys used to use it to steal whiskey, drop it into the, class, into the cask, glug, 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 fill it up, pull it out, cork on the top, pop it down the trousers and off they go. They've got, you know, half a bottle of whiskey, essentially. Yeah. So this distillery manager had gone into the, the changing rooms and he'd found a copper dog in one of the guy's jackets. So he just pulls it out. And uh, that's that's when he grabbed Dennis and said, right, bring your hammer, puts it on this anvil. And he's like, right, hammer that flat for me. So Dennis had to hammer this copper dog flat. And the distillery manager just went, thank you very much. Took it back to the cloakroom, popped it in his uh, pocket no. when he found it and just left it. Didn't say anything to the guy. So the guy obviously came back, put his jacket on, went, oh, shit, what happened to my dog? You know. So it was like, mm. a, it was like a, a message for the rest of the guys to stop stealing. But the cool thing is, Dennis is, is telling me and the guests the story, which I'd, I'd heard a few times before, but always love hearing it. And then we go to the shop and uh, Balveni have released a 42-year-old tale of the dog. And there's a picture of Dennis or, you know, a, a, a kind of drawing of Dennis hammering this dog. And they've got a flattened dog on the inside of it. So it was uh, kind of cool to hear that story from him. And then I didn't realize it was out already, you know, so I walked yeah. into the shop and it was right there. So that was quite a nice moment. But, you know, Dennis, is, he's so humble. I was trying to get a picture with him in the bottle. He said, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that, you know. So anyway, while we're on the William Grant and Sons vibe, um, I got into it today with Stuart Watts, who is the distillery director for William Grant and Sons. And he told us a little bit about what they're doing uh, with their carbon footprint and how they're reducing that. So this is Stuart. Um, so Stuart, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much for for being on our little podcast here. Great to have you. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for inviting me. So I think before we get into this, can you explain to everyone a little bit uh, about your role as distillery director at William Grant & Sons? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, so I've been working with William Grant for uh, 18 years now. My goodness, time, I don't know where it goes. Uh, so I've uh, you know, kind of technical background and worked in lots of production roles. Um, in distilling mostly, but then uh, with our grain distillery, with um, our gin production, and then uh, I was looking after um, production at Glenfiddich and Balvenie a few years ago. Uh, so yeah, mostly worked around production roles, and then in the last few years, um, been looking more at um, kind of longer term plans and how we're developing uh, our distilling uh, requirements and our capabilities, uh, which goes into all sorts of things from you know new products and how we make products in different ways to kind of crazy ideas of things that may never come to anything, but, you know, we'll give it a go anyway. Uh, and now kind of looking after um, all the aspects of how we supply our spirits uh, to um, the various different parts of the business. Well, it's amazing to see what you've uh, what you've achieved in such a short period of time, mate. I mean, I remember us hanging out at Glenfiddich when you were quite a, a sort of newbie to the business at that point. That was That was like one of your first major jobs, I suppose, right? Yeah, you used to ask me lots of crazy questions. I, I like the way you changed that from stupid to crazy there at the last minute. I saw you were going to say that, mate. I, um, I, I, I thought about it, yeah. <laughs> I, re I do remember that that very funny time when we were hanging out at dinner and you were about to do a presentation the next day and we all had stupid phrases. 
that we had to say during your presentation. And yep. I think yours was a uh, piece out and you managed to get it in as well, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I was up for a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, from my experience of working with William Grant and Sons, I know it's been a, a very active company over the years to reduce its carbon footprint at all the distilleries. Can, can you chat a little bit about that as to what you guys have been doing there? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Energy is obviously, you'll know yourself, Mitch, energy is such a kind of big part of uh, the distilling process. You know, you, it's it's probably like our third biggest cost after um, the cereal itself and obviously all the talented people we employ. Uh, but after that, you know, the, the cost of gas and electricity are the biggest uh, cost to the making of, of any kind of whiskey. So, you know, we're always keen to make sure we're being as efficient as we possibly can. Um and we've uh, done a lot of various different uh, approaches to that over the years from how we cover uh, the heat that goes into the, the, the distillate itself, as you'll see you know, many other distilleries, um, maybe even what gravity we produce at. Uh, so obviously the gravity, you know, the higher the gravity, the stronger the beer, uh, but the less the water and therefore, you know, the less energy you have to put in. Um, that's good challenges, you know, because, um, you've got to be careful about how you do that in a way that doesn't sort of ruin the, the style of the spirit. So there's all those sorts of things that uh, many distilleries look at that we try to do to be as efficient as we possibly can for malt and grain production. Um, but then we also look at, uh, and we've done for some years now, how we use um, the waste from the distillery. Uh, and in fact, you know, we can we know that we can actually turn those into biogas and then reuse that biogas by firstly making electricity or then maybe just directly burning the gas as a, as a source of heat. Um, and then more recently, uh, yeah, we found some other kind of other ways to offset some of the carbon footprint elsewhere in our supply chain. Let's talk about that because I, I know this was the big one for you, man, and, and this must be something that you're pretty proud of. I know it would have been you and, and, and the rest of the team working on this, but talking about that biogas and how you've used it to power the lorries at Glenfiddich. I mean, that is such a game changer, not just for you guys, but I know you you, you uh, let other distilleries and other companies have, uh, have access to that technology. So going back to my stupid questions, can you explain to me and the listeners exactly how that works? And because and, and, it, it blows my mind when I read that. Yeah, no stupid questions, Mitch. Uh, so, um, yeah, for sure. So it's not so much different from uh, the gas that we use to run the distillery, to boil water, to you know, directly fire stills, as we still do at Glenfiddich as well. Um, really, all that's happening is you're taking that gas, um, and it's what we call biomethane. So it just means it's methane that's made from uh, a biological source. Uh, it's not been taken out the you know of the ground um, through exploration kind of oil and gas industry it's been made from uh in this case it's been made from the waste materials so that's the pot ale that's left at the end of uh mold distilling it's the, even the draft uh so once we've extracted all the sugar uh through the mashing process we can take that draft and we can actually make biogas from that as well um the difference here is just simply that we're we're basically pressurizing it up more and using it as a road fuel uh and actually uh, the, the standard sort of engines that you'll find in a truck are pretty closely designed that they can use gas. There's a bit of modification to them, but not, not too much. Uh, and we've been working with a particular partner, Aveco, um, who've developed a truck for us to use. So it's quite common in other parts of the world. You know, you've run cars on 
uh, gas rather than on petrol or diesel. Um, and we're just harnessing that type of technology. The great thing now, though, is uh, that rather than us, you know, buying that gas uh, from from a fuel company, from an oil company, we're able to make it for ourselves. And then uh, we pump it into the, the truck. Looks like a, you know, pretty much like a, a fueling station you would go to, a gas station you go to. It's a bit chunkier looking, but it has all the same you know, features as a nozzle you attach to the truck. And then when you start it, actually, it counts up how much you put in and shows you how much it costs to fill the truck. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the, the driver can then use the truck pretty much as he would do um, a standard uh, diesel truck. It's a little bit quieter. Uh, and I know um, I'm not a truck driver, but uh, um, the guys tell me, you know, it's a bit of a different torque range. So in some ways it drives a little bit differently, but I guess that's maybe the same as you've got your Ford one time and then your uh, Volvo another, you know, it's just a little bit different. Uh, uh, but yeah, we're able to move goods around with that. It's just an HGV as you would get um, any other kind of HGV. Unbelievable. And then you guys obviously produce enough waste to fuel all the trucks for for the rest of your time, you don't have to use diesel anymore. Am I right in saying that? Um, well, I mean, it's something we're working on, so we've not got a whole fleet uh, using this at this point. But that would be, you know, that would be a real aim for the future is to get to that point. Uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, we we um, make electricity with some of that gas, and we also uh, use some of the gas to run the actual distillery as well. You know, so there's different trade-offs about how we, how it's best to use that gas. Stuart, talking about the the, the trucks that you guys are putting on the road, let's let's chat numbers here. What is that going to do for the environment? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, a truck will run about a hundred thousand miles a year. Uh, any, you know, it's pretty average for a truck to be on the road, um, and that equates to about two hundred and fifty tons of carbon dioxide that is emitted if it's running on diesel or petrol. But you know, what is that number? It doesn't really mean very much to to many people. Um, so, if I just look, put it in a little bit of context, and you, know, I'm sure you hear lots in the media these days about people planting forests to. Um, to kind of offset their own carbon footprint. So if we were to plant trees um, uh, to, to offset that carbon footprint of the truck, we'd have to plant about 4,000 trees for every single truck. So that's, you know, that's what that's doing for us. It's taken 99% uh, um, of the, the, the carbon footprint out of that truck uh, through the use of the biogas rather than, than diesel. Um, so it's saving that 250 tonnes um, and, you know, we can still plant the 4,000 trees and it can help maybe offset some other part of the carbon from somewhere else. As you say, it's a, it's a game changer in that you can start to then address some of the carbon footprint on other parts of a supply chain. So, um, you know, there's the, as you said, there's the electricity we use, there's the gas we use for the distillery itself, there's then how we get goods to and from the distillery, there's the waste products, um, you know, and then there's obviously... All the other parts of what goes into making a bottle of Glenfiddich, whether it be the bottle, the closure, how we get it to wherever it's going in the world. So, you know, there's lots of other challenges to to go at. Um, but this helps us with that piece where how we supply materials to the distillery and then how we supply the spirit away from the distillery. Amazing. Uh, and, and let me ask you this. Uh, you know, I know from experience that there's always been a lot of sharing with regards to technology between distilleries. Do you see that happening a lot with the, the way everyone's moving forward environmentally? Uh, well, there's some level of sharing. <laughs> Maybe we don't, we, don't, we don't give away all the good sweeties. Uh, so, uh, so, I mean, firstly, most of the whiskey companies are, that are, you know, are members of the Scotch Whiskey Association. So we've all signed up to the same goals as part of the SWA. Um, and that is you know, to 
aim to be carbon zero by uh, by 2040. Um, so you know we've all got that common purpose, and for sure um, some of the approaches uh, of how we're going to tackle that will be similar. Um, you know, there's um, there's been some great work done by the SWA to identify what technologies are already known and what could be applied in what situations, uh, and then through you know, there's various different uh, funds that the um, well initially the EU and then the UK government have um, provided, uh, and distillers have sort of uh, you know similar approaches and how we're, we're going forward with those. So yeah, there's there's a lot of common um, common overlap there, and the, the technology for the gas trucks themselves is definitely one which um, you know, can be used by others, uh, and I think um, you know we'll see where that goes to, but um, I'm sure you will see. Other distillers over time, you know, using um, similar trucks, maybe with a different brand other than Glenfiddich on the side of it. Yeah, and, and when do you? This might be a hard question for you to answer, but when do you see William Grant and Sons hitting that net zero goal? By well, yeah, I, I, that's something we're working on. We've got pretty ambitious goals. I don't think we're quite ready to say when that'll be because some of it's unknown. Yeah, we can. Yeah, of course. We know the answers to some of those questions. Some of them we don't know the answers, but we pretty confident we, we we know how we get there and in some aspects of it we don't have an idea yet uh so and i think that's where most distillers are um so yeah it's probably a little bit too early for us to kind of you know share that kind of longer term uh plan um but i guess as many distillers now it's it's become a really large part of the work that we're you know we're all doing especially those of us that are kind of at that sort of exciting uh part of our business is where we're planning and developing you know the new the new the kind of new innovations for the future so yeah early days still i would say but i'm very aware that it's it's uh, within our all our careers now it's within our lifetimes of our you know as working in the whiskey industry that these things will change so we're it you know we have to we have to fix those problems there's not another generation to leave it to now what do you think the biggest problems are right now or what's what's the hardest part of getting distilling down to that net net neutral uh, figure uh, tickets distilling and actually running the stoves is that would that be the highest cost energy wise uh, yeah for sure it, um from an energy perspective yeah that's that's it distilling itself is the you know the biggest input part um and we've got as i say we've got some really uh firm plans of where we can go with that but we've not cracked everything uh and there's there's a there's a few new technologies coming along that we're um, just in the stages of planning how we're going to trial that. Um, you know, the Glenfiddich distillery is pretty big, so um, to put a new technology in there, you know, is a bit risky for us. So we have to have to evaluate that and see um, will it work for us. Firstly, will it you know will it do what we need to do? But then maybe more importantly, can we do what we need to do and still make Glenfiddich spirit? Uh, you know, and if we can't continue to make the right quality, then we really have to. You know, think again about what we're going to do, because uh, there's no, there's not really any point to making something that is not recognisable as this, as the spirit we want to to lay down for the future. So, uh, yeah, that that is the main area that my team's focusing on. Um, but you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that over the next even two or three years, I think we'll have a really strong idea of how to fix the problem, um, and it'll take a few more years before we kind of completely implement all of those those changes. Well, Stuart, thank you very much for your time. I know you're a busy boy. You've got, what, four distilleries to run now, mate? So I do appreciate it. Is it four or five? Uh, it depends how you look at it. Yeah, there's a, there's a few there in Scotland and some in Ireland and a little bit elsewhere as well. So 
yeah, and forgot about Tullamore as well. That's a, that's a big yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I managed to get over there for the first time in uh, quite a while, just a few weeks ago, which was good to get to see the team out there. Um, not quite managed to make it the other side of the Atlantic, but hopefully next year. Brilliant. Well, thanks again, Stuart. Uh, great to see you, and hopefully we uh, catch up for a couple of drams soon. Great. Thanks, Mitch. Nice Cheers, to see you. Not not only did I um, not have the right equipment, um, I, I haven't I haven't done my hair, and my singing wasn't wasn't very good. Um, I also wasn't able to make the interview with with Stuart. So um, I'm not just... angry, Daz. I'm not angry. I'm just yeah. disappointed. Yeah, you should be. You should be. And I'm actually really upset because I'm I met him with you very recently for the first time, and uh, there's a man that knows his onions. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, and it's was really interesting. Actually, he's clearly an engineer. You just hear it the way he speaks. It's just it's so you know structured and in, in the way he thinks and 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 obviously really understands the subject that he's that he's talking about and the sustainability piece and just how how that role is you know as an operations director as a distillery manager sustainability is now one of your key priorities you know whereas obviously before it would it would have been make good whiskey you yeah. know just keep keep no. keep doing that. And it's really, it's, I think it's positive to see the impact, impactful changes that are being, you know, implemented within Scotland right now. But it also shows that we've still got a long way to go. We're getting there, but it's still got a long way to go with regards to this. Yeah. So what's next, Mitch? What's next on the agenda? What have we got coming up for these listeners as we get closer to seeing Santa in a few weeks? Mate, we're, well, yeah, we're recording this right now. It's the 7th of December, so we're getting close to, to Christmas time. And I think we should go into Edinburgh for a wee Christmas night out and combine it with a, a sit-down with our good friend, author, and all-round amazing human being, Charlie McLean, MBE, uh, mm -hmm. to give us a wee Hogmanay rundown of what he would drink over Hogmanay. And by the way, if you don't know what Hogmanay is, that's what we call New Year in Scotland. So yeah. Daz and I are going to go to Charlie's flat uh, in a couple of weeks and sit down with him and, and run through all that, which is uh, which is probably going to be very dangerous because I've been to Charlie's flat before and it's, he's got some amazing whiskies there. So yeah, looking forward to that, mate. And then we'll take him out for a cheeky lunch afterwards. And then, yeah. I don't know, Edinburgh's our oyster. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm really, really looking forward to that. I've not seen Charlie properly for a little while, but I've done quite a lot of work with him in the past. So I'll maybe dig out a couple of good stories there on old Charlie when we when we catch up and see if he remembers uh, a few pickles he's got me in over the years. <laughs> Should be good, mate, yeah. But guys, yeah, thank you for listening to this one. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed our little ramble about sustainability there and uh, tune in for the next one. Follow us on Instagram, Not Another Whiskey Podcast. Get involved. Slange, guys. Slange. Cheers, Dad. Cheers, mate. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.